0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, My name is Parker Richardson, and I serve our Carville campus. If we haven't gotten the pleasure of meeting each other, and uh, I just wanna say we hope you had a Merry Christmas. We're so glad that all of us are joining together as a church body online this morning as we end our series, uh, The Names of God. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter six, and uh, we will jump into Judges chapter six. And the name of God that we're gonna be talking about this morning is Jehovah Shalom. And if you're familiar with church, if you've been around church, you've probably heard the word shalom before. Um, if you've never heard it, don't know much about it, you're in luck because we're going to talk about it today. Um, but the word shalom in the Hebrew is unique because there's not really a word in English that fully captures what the word shalom in Hebrew means. Um, our closest word in English is the word peace, right? You might have heard um, shalom being translated as peace, um, but it doesn't fully capture what shalom means. Peace in the English language basically means um, no one's fighting, right? Absent, absence of conflict. There's not a lot of conflict, there's no war, we're at peace. Um, The word shalom, though, in Hebrew takes it a step further because the word shalom doesn't just mean an absence of conflict, it also means just, the word picture is like a stone or a wall that's complete. There's no cracks, it's whole, it's flourishing. Um, So shalom isn't just an absence of conflict, but it's the presence of flourishing. It's the presence of completeness or wholeness. So it's so much better than just not fighting, but it's, it's as if things are functioning as they should be. That's what shalom is. And uh, if you're a parent, you know this, right? Um, Just because your kids aren't fighting uh, doesn't mean that there's shalom in your house, right? That's just a ceasefire. (laughs) Um, If you look at your kids and they're not fighting, all it takes is what? Like a a wrong look, uh, an accidental bump, And then all peace, all shalom is gone, right? All it takes is if you've got multiple kids, is your two kids are hanging out, somewhat getting along. All it takes is for another child to see, oh, I think there's shalom over there. I'm going to go and ruin it, right? And you're watching as a parent and you just know um, that something bad's about to happen. Shalom is that rare moment as a parent, when you look down at your children and they're not just not fighting, right? But they're getting along. They're enjoying being together. Um, They're cooperating. They're working together. And you're like secretly trying to pull out your phone and film it and going like, what in the world? There is a God in the universe. How majestic are his ways, right? My kids are actually getting along and you try to document it before it's gone because you know it's not going to last for a while, right? That's a picture of shalom. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of flourishing, of wholeness, of completeness, that these relationships are functioning as they should be. Um, if you're not a parent, you're a roommate, right? You you have roommates. Um, roommate shalom is not just the fact that you and your roommate don't hate each other. Um, it's that you love being together. You get along with one another. You cooperate with one another. When you are falling short this month and can't pay your bills, that they help. Those kind of things. That's shalom, right? Financial shalom. It's not just that you don't, Um, lack money, but there's presence of cash, right? That you're able to do things and buy things. Um, And shalom is used a lot in the scriptures. In fact, it's used all of the time. Um, It's used in Job when Job counts his sheep and he sees that they're all there, that he has, um, it's complete, it's whole. He's not lacking any sheep. They call that shalom in the scriptures, um, Solomon, when he finishes the temple and he builds the temple, it says he brought shalom to the temple because it's complete and it's whole. Um, it's finished. It's as it should be. In fact, shalom was used so much um, that if I harmed you as a neighbor and you are now lacking, I damaged something of yours, shalom, to shalom my neighbor would be to completely restore it, to fix it, um, to bring it back to completeness. So it would be as it should be. Um, Shalom became a greeting because it was used so much in the Hebrew language. Um, You've probably heard the greeting shalom before, and I love it because it's so much better than our English greeting, right? Hi in the English language means essentially nothing, right? It's like, I acknowledge that you exist. Um, But turn to somebody, if you're watching it with other people, turn to someone and say shalom to them. Now, turn to the person that you didn't choose the first time and say shalom to them. Um, Shalom essentially isn't just high, I acknowledge you exist. It's almost a prayer or a wish. Like when you say shalom to someone, it's I. essentially I am wishing um, that your life would be as it should be, that it would be complete, that it would be whole. I wish your relationships um, would function as they are intended to function, that they would be complete and whole. Um, it's so much better than a high, right? In fact, David, here's what's funny, is David, when he sent out... Um, While Goliath was taunting the Israelites, the Philistines, um, David is sent out and he's asked to um, seek and figure out and inquire about the shalom of the troops. And he goes and asks them. Uh, What's ironic is years later when David is king and he has committed adultery with Bathsheba, instead of going out to the troops, um, it says in those days when the kings were supposed to be out, David is home and he sends Uriah Bathsheba's husband, to come and talk to him. And he inquires about the shalom of the troops of Uriah. Meanwhile, David knows that he's ripped Uriah's shalom apart um, through his sin and through that adultery. Um, But it became this greeting all throughout the scriptures. And in fact, it's essentially the story of the Bible. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and we broke shalom with God. Everything was as it should be in Genesis 1 and 2 right? Genesis two ends with complete perfection, man and woman created in harmony with one another in harmony with God. And then Genesis three, when sin happens, shalom is broken. And essentially, we are going to look at a story um, where this man named Gideon, he's a judge and he names God, not that God needed him to name him, but he ascribes to God this name Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. So if you've got your Bible, hopefully by now you're in Judges 6. And if you wanna know the context of Judges, just read Judges chapter 2. It essentially gives you the context of the entire book of Judges. And if you know where Judges falls, it's the seventh book in the Bible, um, right after Joshua. And we studied Joshua recently, and we talked about how the Israelites moved into the promised land, Joshua led them, they were instructed, God essentially gave them three rules which was clear out the land of all of their enemies, wipe them out, and then just in case you don't do that, don't intermarry with them and don't worship their gods. And we find out really quickly in Judges, Judges 3, um, that the Israelites didn't follow any of those rules, that they didn't completely wipe out their enemies, and they started intermarrying with them, 3, 6, I think Judges 3, 6, and they started worshiping their gods, Judges 3, 7. So they don't obey any of these rules. They're in the promised land. And essentially, if you read Judges 2, it tells you the book of Judges is just cyclical. It's this cycle of because of our sin, because of the Israelite sin, God allows these people that they didn't wipe out, these neighbors, to overtake them and rule over them. And in Deuteronomy, he even promises that they will take their crops, they will take their Stuff, they will take their oxen and cattle, they will take their possessions, they will take their food, they'll take it all. And they rule over them until the people of Israel cry out to God and God raises up a judge. And the word judge actually means deliverer. God raises up a deliverer. And as long as the judge is alive, God leads his people out of that oppression. And then when the judge dies, the people quickly turn to other gods, turn back to pagan gods, and the cycle repeats over and over and over again. And if you read the book of Judges, it's just that cycle over and over and over again. God's people turning from him, worshiping pagan gods. God allows, in his judgment, he's righteous and completely has the right to do this because of the people's sin, allows their neighbors to come in, overtake them, and then they cry out, he raises up a judge, and it just happens all all over again. So we are looking at a few cycles into the book of Judges at this man named Gideon. Now, I want to read his story to you, um, and we'll take it just chunks at a time before we finish it. Um, but it says this, uh, Judges 6 Verse one, it says the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So we see here, because of their sin, God, God allows the Israelites, because of their sin, to be overtaken by the Midianites and the Amalekites, and Scripture says for these people from the east. So you've got these three groups of people for seven years. What they would do is they would essentially wait for the Israelites to plant crops and then they would just swoop in and take their cattle, take their crops, take all their food for seven whole years. Oppress them, rob from them, steal from them over and over again to the point where you see the Israelites are just hiding, right? The only food that they get to keep is the ones that they get to hide. The only cattle they keep are the ones that they hide. So we find them in Judges 6, hiding in caves, hiding uh, in the hills. And we'll see Gideon in just a second. He's um, crushing wheat in the wine press. Um, He's trying to (laughs) basically farm in a wine press because he's so afraid of being seen and caught and his stuff stolen from him. So this is going on for seven years. And like I said, God promised them in Deuteronomy that if they did not obey him, that this would happen. Um, And God always follows through on his word. So the people cry out to God and we see what happens. It says in verse seven, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And what's interesting about this whole interaction is the Israelites are crying out for an act of God's power. And what does God send? He sends a prophet to proclaim his word. And so many times you might be in the season this Christmas uh, where we are in struggle, right? Look around. It doesn't take long to realize that shalom is broken in this world, that we don't have it. Um, Watch the morning news and you realize that this world is not functioning as it should. That our lives, look internally. um, Spend a day with me and you'll realize um, that I do not live in a constant state of shalom, that it is broken. Um, And you see here that it's broken. And so many times we cry out to God and we just want God to fix it. And God says, no, I wanna use it to bring you back to me, to bring you back to my word. And God brings them to his word and he shows them, he reminds them of his salvation, what he's done for them in Egypt, his commands and the fact that they've broken those commands. He reminds them of those things. So, um, and here's what I want you to see. God is way more concerned with us encountering his holiness than he is with us escaping earthly circumstances and situations in pain. God is way more concerned with us encountering who he is and his holiness and God and his kindness will allow us to go through difficulties and struggles and um, just hard times, why? because it exposes our need for him. So many of us turn to, I do this, you do this. We all turn to things to try to fabricate and create shalom in our lives. It could be a relationship. It could be status, significance, an amount of money, your job, security, satisfaction, whatever it is. We are constantly turning to things to try to manufacture and create shalom in our own lives. And God will use situations like this, struggles, trials, why? To bring us to himself to expose our need for him, to show us his holiness and his righteousness and his word. And that's exactly what he does here. And if you look at verse 11, it says this, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Now, here's what I want you to see. We've talked about this multiple times, but the angel of the Lord, um, we call this in scripture a theophany. Um, It is a pre-incarnate Christ who has shown up. It is God himself who shows up, the angel of the Lord. In fact, Gideon will eventually call him Lord in this passage. He shows up and he says this, uh, shows up and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezerite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. So here he is hiding from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord is forsaken and given us into the hand of Midian, which is pretty bold if you're Gideon. God shows up and says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon responds with, if God was with us, and you might be asking this question this holiday season. If God truly is real, if God truly is with me, then why is this going on? And Gideon, with lots of guts, says, where are all these wonderful deeds that my fathers and our fathers used to talk about? If God's with us, then why are we suffering like this? And here's the response. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? So he tells Gideon, go save Israel. And he said to him, please, Lord, this is Gideon speaking, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And here's the tension point. Here's the breaking point for Gideon. God says, hey, go and save Israel. And Gideon just exposes his inadequacy. And so many times God allows us to experience struggle and trial, why? Because it exposes our inadequacies. You and I, as much as we try to fabricate and create and will shalom into our lives and into our relationships, we can never fully and finally create shalom in our lives. And God says, hey, Gideon, go and restore shalom. And Gideon says, I'm inadequate, I can't do it. And what does God say? I will be with you, I am adequate. I can restore shalom. And he goes, Um, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, this is Gideon speaking, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my um, presence and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So this is weird. Um, Gideon says, Lord, if it's really you, stay right here, I'll be right back. And Gideon goes and starts to prepare a young goat. Um, And this is so interesting because Gideon just basically talked back to the Lord, says, if you were actually with us, why is all this happening? Like this was the moment for God to bring the hammer down, right? This is where we get one of those therefore, and then God just establishes more punishment on Gideon um, for his pride and his arrogance and all of those kind of things. But what do we see God do? He moves in close and he sits. And he's patient with us. He's patient with Gideon. And Gideon says, if this is really you, hang out here. I'm gonna go and prepare a sacrifice. And he does. Um, We're inadequate to do it, but God is adequate to do it. So basically, Gideon goes and prepares a goat. And I've never prepared a young goat before. I don't know how long that takes. I don't know how much time passed in between this. Um, But Gideon goes and prepares a goat and unleavened bread. And here's our section where Gideon names the Lord Jehovah Shalom. It says this, So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes uh, from an epaph of flour. Uh, The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over him. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes or bread. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace or shalom be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day, it stands an offering which belongs to the Abizarites. Um, And here's what's so interesting about this passage. He gets a sacrifice, he brings it back to the Lord. He says, put it on the rock, pour the broth on it. And we see fire consume the sacrifice, that the sacrifice was acceptable, God receives it. And then... Um, God vanishes. The angel of the Lord vanishes and Gideon has this moment where he knows he has just encountered Yahweh. He has just encountered Jehovah and he falls at his face and he's afraid he's gonna die. And he says, oh, alas, oh Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And even though God is gone, even though he vanished, he replies to him and he speaks to him and he says, you shall not die. And I love this kind of freak out moment for Gideon because in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of all of the trial, in the middle of the struggle, peace comes. In the middle of Gideon's most fearful moment of his life, God says, peace I give you. And there's a reason he freaks out and we should too because our only response to God's complete holiness and his presence and our unworthiness is to fall at our face. And God uses moments, trials, struggles in our lives to show us our complete inadequacies, his adequacy, our unworthiness, his worthiness. If God's holiness isn't that awesome to us, if God's not that amazing and we're not that bad, then salvation isn't that great, is it? But when we truly come to realize the holiness of God, our inadequacies, our only response, when we see him and we meet him and we encounter him, is to fall at our face and admit our inadequacy. And it's in that moment where God responds with, peace be with you. You will not die. And what's interesting about the story as we wrap up this morning is that yes, um, Gideon goes on and he defeats the Midianites, but then eventually Gideon leads his people into sin once again. And then Gideon dies, another judge rises up because the people of God have wandered. And just like the Israelites, you and I, We are so prone to wander, aren't we? Every time we try to fabricate and create and will shalom into our lives, it never fully and finally lasts, does it? It's always broken. It's always temporary. It's here one second and it's gone the next. But here's the beauty of the gospel is that one day Isaiah prophesied there would be a prince of shalom. There would be a greater judge, a greater deliverer. David couldn't provide it. The judges couldn't provide it. Gideon couldn't provide it. Abraham couldn't provide it. David, all of these kings. It's, and it's the problem wasn't um, God's plan. The problem was never God's plan. It wasn't that God planned for patriarchs and judges and kings and prophets to show up. The problem was never God's plan. The problem was our sin. That you and I could never fully and finally bring shalom. It was the king's job to bring shalom to the city. And David never could do it fully and finally. But praise be to God that all throughout the scripture, there was prophecy that someone greater than Gideon, someone greater than David would show up and he would be the prince of shalom. And he would bring shalom to our lives fully and finally. And his name was Jesus. And I wanna read this prophecy to you. This is Isaiah 9. It says this, For us, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of shalom, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of shalom, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And just in case we fall into this trap of thinking we created shalom, The last verse says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You and I can't do this, but praise be to God that he is adequate, he can provide peace. And here's what I want you to see. Um, Like we said, peace isn't just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of flourishing. So the gospel, the beauty of it, isn't just that God's no longer mad at us, right? That the wrath of God is satisfied and that's it. It's not just the absence of conflict with God, the beauty of the gospel is it's the presence of flourishing. It's that his righteousness has been given to us. His holiness has been given to us. We've been adopted into the family of God. He's called us sons and daughters of God. And the only way, the only reason you and I can have shalom with God is because the one person who has eternally had shalom with God, Jesus Christ, who was eternally in harmony with the Father and the Spirit, he gave up shalom. He was cast out. Why? So that we can be brought in. He took on the punishment of all of our breaking shalom with God. Why? So that you and I, we could be brought in. And it's not just that we are um, no longer at conflict with God, it's now that we have intimacy with him. We can have shalom, not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of completeness, of wholeness, and of flourishing. And I just wanna encourage you, um, it doesn't mean that our earthly problems are gonna go away. Um, in fact, Jesus in the New Testament promised, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Um, shalom right now doesn't mean that our earthly problems are just gonna magically go away if you decide to follow Jesus this morning or if you've been following Jesus. But what it does mean, what does Jesus say right before then? John 16, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have shalom. And as we go through the brokenness and the fallenness of this world, that's clearly lacking shalom, we can have shalom internally with God. We can go through the brokenness of the world with peace, knowing that no matter what happens, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ, there's nothing that can separate us from his love, that we are at complete peace with the God of the universe. And we can navigate the brokenness of this world with peace, knowing that we have peace with the God of the universe. And when we finally have peace with God, we have peace within ourselves and it frees us up to be at peace with others. And here's what's so crazy. Right now, and here's this is the good news, and then I'm done. Right now, we do not have earthly circumstantial shalom in this world, but that day is coming. And in fact, scripture refers to heaven as the new Jerusalem. And the word Jerusalem, Jeru means city, shalom, peace, right? There is a new city coming and it's the city of eternal peace. And in that day, Jesus Christ will return one day. He will come back and he will restore everything to as it should have been. It will be complete, there will be complete harmony in our relationships, and we will live in a constant state of shalom. And we keep our eyes fixed on that day, we're citizens of that city, and we f- we're now free to seek the shalom of our city. But as Hebrews says, we don't put our hope in this city. We have no lasting city, but we seek the new Jerusalem. We seek the city of shalom that's coming. And that's the good news of the gospel this morning. So wherever you find yourself, maybe you don't believe in Jesus and someone sent you this link. Our prayer is that you would see the God of the universe, Yahweh, that you would see him as your shalom. As much as we try to fabricate it, you cannot produce shalom on your own. You can't. We try and we try and we try, and it just leads to more brokenness, more disappointment, more heartache, but praise be to God that he has sent the Prince of Shalom so that you and I, We can have shalom with God and we can begin to work on shalom with each other. And one day when he returns, we will fully and finally experience shalom. So as we close, let me read this prayer to you. This is number six. It's two verses, you've heard it before. Um, This is our benediction as we close. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. So church, Lord willing, we will see you in the new year. We cannot wait to regather with you and we pray peace upon you as you go. We love you.